Well, I, how, how many of you are early risers, get up early in the morning? Did you happen to see the beautiful sunrise this morning? And then the astounding rainbow? Whoa. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder, like, how can people see stuff like that and not believe there's a God? I mean, the whole, you, you know, if you go down the evolution route and, and you think, well, okay, well, you know, species progress. Okay, but why do you even need a rainbow? I mean, what is that? It's not like it evolved there, but it was absolutely radiant and spectacular. I went in to get a cup of coffee. I didn't even need the coffee. I was like, that's a two-year-old watching his first cartoon. It was crazy how beautiful it was. But I'm not talking about rainbows today. (laughs) We're opening the book of Romans. We're still in chapter one because we don't want anyone to panic and feel rushed. So we're walking through and we're really trying to notice tensions. And I... I live under a constant tension when I come up here to speak. My son, John, is a physical trainer. He's a very good one. But John, when he looks at people, does not see a face, eyes, ears. He doesn't see that. He sees a skeleton. And he sees their posture. And so when I go home after Sunday service today, John will not grade me on my sermon he will grade me on my posture, which he thinks is getting better slowly. But, you know, how many of you had teachers or a relative who nagged you about your posture? Sit up straight, you know. And the reality is, is that there's forces on this world that tug on our body that just naturally make us kind of slump, right? I mean, eventually, I got, I got 60 years on, on this frame, and eventually gravity wins. Your, your chest falls, you know, it just, it just kind of happens. And there's these tugs and these pulls that, that mess with our posture. And they mess with our spiritual posture too. And these forces that we notice in the world, they have an impact on our spiritual formation. They tug and they pull and they press and they're, they're having an effect on us as we go through life. And this formation that I'm talking about happens largely in our minds. And our minds are how we see the world. That didn't just click. Let's try it again. Nope. Can you click it back there, Steve? There. So our minds, how we see the world. It's our conceptions and our perceptions of what's going on. All through the day, your mind, which isn't just up in your head, it's your intuitions, it's the vibe you feel, it's all kinds of things that are called the mind. As you go through your day, you're interacting through your mind. And it's also got to do with the lenses that you look through. You know, if you've got rose-colored glasses, you see it positively. And it's, it's, it's uh, as you see the world, is how you're going to respond to the world. And so you can have some people that see the glass half empty, some that see it half full. And it's got to do with their mind, with how they're thinking. And this concept of a mind, Paul's really concerned about, especially in the letter to the Romans. In fact, that phrase, mine, shows up in some really key places 
throughout the book. And the reason that Paul is concerned about it is it ultimately has to do as we think we live. And as we live, we develop a posture. And that posture is really, really important. Because in the chapter that we're now in, chapter 1, here's what Paul's concerned about. He says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Brennan was talking about this last Sunday. And Paul's concerned because these people, even though they've seen, even though they've looked through these glasses and, and acknowledged that there's a God, they're not retaining it, and their mind slides into a place where you don't want to be. Their mind is broken. The glasses they're looking through are through a wrong posture. And so I looked at this phrase throughout the book of Romans, and I said, you know, before we jump from chapter 1 to chapter 2, not like we're trying to race through it, we need to stop and take a look at this idea of a mind because it's so critical. In fact, the mind has to do with a big tension that we all feel in this room. We feel it probably every day. And Paul says it plainly in chapter 7. This is what he says. I do not understand what I do. Can I get an amen? I mean, you said, why did I do that? He says, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many of you read that verse sometimes that just resonated and went, ah, that's the struggle. Have you experienced that? It's honesty time. You can look at it in all kinds of realms. You know, you say, this is the year I'm going to lose that 10 pounds. For me, it's 20. But, you know, I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to really do this. And so you muster all your willpower. You buy all the diet books. You build an accountability group. And then, everywhere you go, that fudge brownie is stalking you. Everywhere. I mean, it's here. It's here. It's here. It's everywhere. And it knows your name. You walk by your Mark. 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 And you know, the good you want to do, you don't do. You struggle. And Paul is acknowledging there's this huge dilemma that even though we, we've got it in our mind, man, I want to do this. It's a struggle. And so he goes on to say in, in chapter 7, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind, how I see things. And this power makes me a slave to sin. Boo. That's still within me. What a miserable person I am. You can just feel the angst. This is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who traversed the known globe three times to bring the gospel to people. This is later in his ministry career. We're not talking about a rookie saint. We're talking about a battle-tutored saint who has walked through all kinds of things. And you know what he's saying to you and I? Man, this is a wrestling match. The tug and the pull and the yanks and all the different things. You know, every Sunday we come in here, we, we pray, we sing 
great songs as Matt leads us and we encourage one another in the cafe or the hallway. And we determine, man, I'm going to live for Jesus. And then Monday comes. We promise ourselves not to be short with our spouse or our kids or not to rant at people on the road. <laughs> Guilty. We say we won't do this or do that anymore. And then we, all, we find ourselves caving in. And it's like, why? Why can't I get traction here? God, what's going on? And, and how we feel is we just feel stretched, pulled. Our heads and our hearts is being yanked. Ah! I want to do good. Why can't I? Paul is telling us there's this tension that we're, we're caught in. It's, it's, it's this place that we're in. It tugs on our posture. It keeps pulling on us, trying to get us over to either side with the flesh or we have to pull back and partner with Jesus. And it's why Paul says here in chapter 7, as he's, as he's looking at a situation, he goes, who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Key phrase there. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice that the freedom is found in surrendering. It's the right creational order. It's not just calling Jesus Savior, it's calling him Lord. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it. It has to do with a posture, which has to do with our thinking, which has to do with our minds, how we see things. And it's all founded on this thing that Paul has opened this letter up, the obedience of faith. It's the deal of trust. Who are you going to trust? October 17th, 1980, there I was in my head resident apartment in St. Olaf, and this guy told me, hey, if you want Jesus in your heart, go ahead. And then he invites me to pray, catches me, you know. And so we bow our heads, and as soon as we, you know, I kind of watch him because I don't know how to pray. And I, I watch him, and he, he bows his head, so I bow my head, and then I kind of peek, and he's closed his eyes, so I close my eyes. And God took over from that. He's like, oh, I finally got Spencer. Ha, ha, ha. And <coughs> what played was my whole past life. The times I should have drowned as a little kid. One time my mom's at a pool party. Where's Mark? He just walks right off into the deep end. Sink like a rock. For some reason, my mom stops her conversation and goes, where's Mark? And she makes a beeline right to the pool to find her son down on the bottom. Times where I was drowned. Times when I was in crazy fights. Times when I was in motorcycle accidents, car accidents. Times when I had drug overdoses. Times when I fall out of a third-story window. And this <coughs> is all playing. And I'm thinking, you know, the reality is I'm not a very good manager of my life. And if this Jesus guy really wants to take this fixer-upper, he can have it. <laughs> but you see, that, that, that's what Paul is saying. Who's going to save you, Mark? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. So you pray. And we would love that it would be one and done. Don't you wish that? Everything would be perfect after that. You'd think right, you'd do right, you'd speak right. You'd love right. Does it work like that? Not my world. 
And you realize the struggle that Paul's talking about here in chapter 7. And the reality is, is that this is to be a moment by moment, experience by experience, lifestyle. Because the reality for you and I is we are caught between two worlds. This world and that world. Do you feel the squeeze? Do you? I do. I feel this tight, confining squeeze on me. And these worlds are very different. The world that we call this world, the kingdom of this world, really is described like this in the book of John. Steve, if you can hit that. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. In other words, this world is driven by desire. Me, me, me. My wants, my needs, my cravings, my way, my road. <laughs> Advertisements tell us, yes, you can have it all. They make these crazy suggestions like if I just use their deodorant, five beautiful women will chase me around my house. <laughs> I... I, first of all, I can't run. I don't know if any of you saw me running to put my microphone on. It's not. It's like this. But it's, this world is, is it's trying to convince you that the, the way you find life is through your desire. Through me. And when we become Christians, we realize, ah, that's probably not right. I mean, just the, the naughty words, the lust. Of the flesh, the lust of the naughty words to Christians, naughty, naughty, naughty. So we go, I probably can't really do that. But yet, we feel very fragile. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to satisfy me? And we're very concerned about me. That's just the reality. And the world knows that, so it is always calling. Started right in the book of Genesis when the enemy convinced Adam and Eve, hey, you eat this. You will be like God. It's going to be super cool. And the scripture says when they saw their mind and they ate. And man, we bite into all kinds of things that we think are going to satisfy us. And that's always pulling. But on the flip side, Steve, is the kingdom. In the opposite corner is the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God is sending our way. And it's described as this in Scripture. If you could click it, Steve. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about those desires, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, God's kingdom is about good. And I say the word good in the same framework that Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. God is concerned about his goodness invading the world. And it, it doesn't always mesh or work in harmony with our desires. In fact, quite often, God in the kingdom is asking us to do things that feel like you're going to die. Like, turn the other cheek. Oh, you're in a good argument with so-and-so. How easy, how desirous is it to go, 
Do you do that? Just going, oh, this will feel so wonderful. Take another crack. Forgiving your enemy. What? Not just forgive them, pray for them. What? See, it doesn't necessarily mesh with our desire, but it's good. And when Mark Spencer steps into the good in that moment, I experience good. Not, maybe not immediately. But I can tell you now, as I wrote this sermon, I paused, I put my paper down, I closed my Bible, and I said, thank you, God, for giving me the courage to settle things with my dad. Because I just spent two sessions this week with some men who have not, and they are miserable. Their desires have them over here, and they think, "Mm, I'm going to hold this as long as I can. It's not hurting the person. It's hurting them. And I was so glad in the moment that the kingdom of God pulled me in the right direction. Paul knows this. This is why he writes this in chapter 8. Let the Spirit control your mind. And if you do, you get life and peace. Let that happen. And so there's two real keys that we want to note as we begin to head very slowly towards chapter (laughs) 2. As we walk through these two worlds, Steve, and you have these tugs that are going on. Go ahead and click, Steve. We need to make sure that we have the right glasses on, that we see the way we need to see. Because as we see is how we'll think, and how we think is how we'll respond, and ultimately how we'll posture ourselves, either for ourselves or with God. Now, these glasses is not just something that's independent. It's not just something that I can do alone. It's something that I need help with. I need God's Spirit, which is why Paul says, let the Spirit control your mind, what you see. Have you ever gotten ready to meet somebody for the first time and someone stops you and gives you their version of that person? My most uh, glaring experience like this was when I was a little kid. I was going from third to fourth grade. And, you know, in the summer, you get your note from the school and it tells you who your teacher is. So me and all the kids are opening up our envelopes and looking at one another. And who do you got? Oh, I have Mrs. Allen. Oh, Mrs. Allen's so cool. You know, I, I have Mr. Michaels. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. Who do you got, Spence? I have Mrs. Sauer. That was really her name. Mrs. Sauer. And the kids are like, ah! She's a witch! She's so mean! You're gonna die! Really, that's what they said. They painted this picture of Mrs. Sauer, and her name didn't help. You know? It was a good German spelling, S-A-U-E-R, but still, as a kid, you're going, ooh, Sauer, that's, that's like, our, when I was a kid, our dentist's name was Dr. Drill. <laughs> what? Anyhow, Mrs. Sauer 
is one of my all-time favorite teachers. She was so sweet and kind. I was such a confused kid. Math, I mean, math to me, oh. She'd be like doing math, and all the other kids are like, yeah, I got it, raise my hand, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, where am I? What just happened? And so Mrs. Sauer, she'd dismiss it for recess, and usually, you know, I'd be like, all right, at least I can go do recess. I know how to do that. Get out of my chair, and she'd say, Mark, come here once. And then after, she'd make sure everybody was out of the room. She'd pull up a chair. Okay, thinking I'm in trouble. She goes, you're not getting this math, are you? And I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I know you want to go to recess. Go to recess. But can you stay 10 minutes after school and I'll help you? Oh, I would not be able to do my taxes if it was not for Mrs. Sauer. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, is that someone was trying to put these glasses, the world's trying to put these glasses on my picture of Mrs. Sauer. No. And there's so many times we're stepping into situations and relationships and all kinds of things that we do as we walk through this world and we got the wrong glasses on. And so we, we need to have the book. This book is full of people that learn to put the right glasses on. They have a good mind to face tough situations. We read this book and it goes, oh, that's what I do when I'm struggling. That's what I do when I'm anxious. That's what I do when I'm angry. That's what I do in the book. It's in the book. And not just the book in you, but the book in us. Because sometimes I don't get the book. Sometimes I may not want to read the book. I know that never happens to you. But one of your friends who reads the book says, hey, you're in a tough situation, aren't you? Yeah. Have you asked God the two questions? I don't want to talk about it. Well, could we ask God together? You ask God and and a word comes clear. This is the foundation of faith. Seven times refined, pure and awesome truth to stand on. It's reliable for life. Hundreds of lives live the victorious, God-filled, God-charged, right-thinking mind life in this book. It's the how-to. You need it to see clearly. And you need others to help you see it clearly. We're not meant to live it alone. Because how we see is how we posture ourselves. The place we put ourselves, either just thinking about me and trying to escape whatever it is, or stepping into the kingdom and experiencing good. It's the kind of thing that Paul has realized when he writes in Philippians, the the great verse that many of us love to read. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is not some theory that Paul's espousing. This is not some idea he created in his laboratory of faith. This is a reality that was worked out prison after prison, trial after trial, shipwreck after shipwreck, 
challenge after challenge. This man realized, oh, I'm in a tough scene. I better get the right glasses on and connect with God so I can see it for what it is because as I see it will be how I posture myself and I'm either going to step in or I'm going to step away. Because all we got in this life is me. All I got is this. I know it ain't much, but it's all I got. Tried to get a new one at Walmart. Couldn't even find one, but... This is all I got. And when you find yourself drowning in your desires and struggling, you cannot live life in those moments on me power. Me power? Mm. You go back to the diet and the brownie chasing you. Instead, what God is asking for you to do is ask the two questions and step into the relationship. God is my Lord. What are we doing? What are we facing? I need your power. I need your grace in this moment right now. God, you've got to help me because you know what I'm like when I'm alone. This is shalom. This is the peace that we hope for. It's the way the world should be, God and us together. Which is why in this great letter of Romans, Paul writes this great passage here. He says, therefore, he's, he's starting to land the plane. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, his track record for how he's driven your life, how he's formed your life, the times he stepped into your life, in view of that, here's what I want you to do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give them to him. Not just once at the altar, but in that experience, that problem, that trial. You, you offer your body because this is holy and pleasing to God, not because he's on a power trip, not because he's like, ho, 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 I got another one. No. Because now the goodness in the kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in that moment when that happens, this is your true and proper worship. You see, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Over here, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Which means that every experience you're walking through, you are redoing. Re means again and again and again in the Latin. That prefix, you keep doing it. The reason that we harp at you about the two questions isn't because we want to be trendy or they're Brendan's questions, so we all got to do them. No. The reality is those two questions help you put on the glasses, see the situation the way it is, and invite God to come down, his kingdom come. And I think every person in this room has had times where they've done it on their own and then they've done it with God and it's vastly different results. Can I get an amen to that? And so, as we're wrapping this up, I want us to be thinking about how we think in our minds, and, and, and does it lead us to a place where when we're thinking correctly, what happens is it always ends the same way, that we go like this, Papa, Papa.
I mean, my body doesn't feel that good. I don't know what happened. It was, the air was smoky in Seattle, but I think it was this smoky. I feel like I've been a three-pack-a-day smoker. Can't shake this. My head's cloudy. All the sounds rattled in my head. Had a really busy week coming back. Friday's supposed to be my day off, and I'm always preaching to the staff, take a day off. I should have never opened my mouth, because now they hold me to it. <laughs> so I'm caught. Oh, I'm so tempted to open the book and start writing this sermon. And my desire is, just get it done. My desire. And you know what God keeps saying to me? I didn't even ask the two questions. Sometimes God just tells you. He says, go for a walk. (laughs) Go for a walk? I mean, these people at Bridgewood already think I'm kind of crazy if I stand up there and don't say anything. What are they going to think then? You know, I'm I'm feeling this pressure, this tension. What am I going to do? God says, go for a walk. So I'm going to be honest. I didn't right away. Sometimes it's just, it's just, I'm like, flashback to being a two-year-old. It's like God doesn't see. I open my Bible. Grab my pen. Wonder if he sees it. <laughs> Nothing. Push it away. I look up at Papa. I say, I'm really slow, huh? Thankfully, I didn't go, yeah. <laughs> I said, let's go for a walk. It's early, still dark. Go out the front door. We live on a kind of a dark street. As I step out the door, the stars are spectacular. And I love nature. I love seeing God in creation. And the, but this, you know, sometimes it's like God has the dimmer switch cranked on these babies. And they, they're just like sparkling. And I go, whoa. I mean, literally, I went like that. I'm looking at them. As soon as I look at them, I hear God say, I call those out by name. Day after day after day. I set them in their place, time after time after time. Do you think I know where you are? Do you think I have you? Yes. It's off on a walk. A sermon didn't fall from the sky. Angels didn't deliver it first-class mail. But I felt right, righteousness. I had peace, and I experienced life as we went on that walk. It wouldn't have happened over here. It could only happen when I put the right glasses on and stepped here. Ladies and gentlemen, as we continue this walk, Let's mind our posture, huh? Let's pray. Lord, as we close our eyes, bow our heads. There's a posture that happens. And uh, I want to pray for your spirit to help our minds see the right posture in all the situations that we're facing. Yes, as we do the offering, but there's a lot more 
according to Romans 12, that we need to offer to you. Help us as we go back to worship, as we continue to think. Remind us. Thank you for your spirit that will help renew our minds and help us to live life the way you designed. In Jesus' name, amen. Build.